0: Israel is at war with one of its enemies, and the world is on the brink of another world war. As celebrities, media members, and politicians criticize Israel for their retaliation against Hamas's deadly attacks, there's something we need to talk about. Is there any biblical justification for war, killing, and self-defense? Let's talk about it today. I'm Blake Watson, This is We The Free. I mentioned last week that we would finish seeking understanding in matters related to Israel and Palestine. Uh, The entire episode last week was spent explaining the whole Biblical and secular history of these two people groups. If you missed it, I recommend you go watch or listen to it before this segment. Just go ahead and hit pause right now and come back and finish this episode later. When you watch the videos and you see the images and hear the news about the war that is taking place between Israelis and Palestinians, I'm, I'm sure that you experience an array of emotions—anger, sadness, compassion, and heartbreak. As a Christian, you're probably conflicted between certain thoughts and feelings that you have, and I'm hoping that today we can address some of those things. Again, if you haven't watched last week's episode, please go back and do that right now because it provides a critical foundation and historical and biblical backdrop to what we we will be discussing today. On October 7th, Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, said the following, Citizens of Israel, we are at war, not an operation, not a round At war, I am initiating an extensive mobilization of the reserves to fight back on a scale and intensity that the enemy has so far not experienced. The enemy will pay an unprecedented price. Well, Israel began its counteroffensive last week on, I think it was Tuesday, by immediately destroying 17 military compounds, uh, four uh, headquarters, and two high-rise towers that were used for storing assets, according to the Times of Israel. They also reported that, quote, the military said it notified residents of the two buildings before they were hit, which, for the record, Israel always does, because they're not evil maniacs intent on spilling the blood of the infidel, you know, like Hamas. And since then, they've destroyed a lot more buildings, and uh, they're preparing to work their way into the terror tunnels underneath Gaza. And and what they're doing is is destroying Hamas's uh, fortresses and their 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 arsenal. They're taking all of all of those key buildings out. Um, now we're not going to talk about every detail of what both sides are doing because the facts are just being twisted into pretzels every day. I mean, for example, this week on Tuesday, the liberals were absolutely losing their minds and flipping out over Israel apparently bombing a hospital in Gaza, killing hundreds of Palestinians and children. But then, by the next day, even the White House was reporting that that wasn't true, that Israel had absolutely nothing to do with it, that it was a failed rocket from Hamas trying to hit Israel again, and the hospital itself was not even hit. It, was, uh, it landed in the parking lot. But no. Today, we're going to focus on the biblical justification for war and self-defense and the difference between just and unjust killing. There are two words for killing in the Hebrew language or in the Hebrew Bible, ratzach and harag. One of them means rightful killing, while the other means wrongful killing. Ratzach is wrongful killing, or murder. This is the word used in the Ten Commandments, for example, when God says, you shall not murder, you shall not ratzach. Harag simply means to kill and it's used in appropriate contexts of ending someone's life, like self-defense, capital punishment, etc. The King James Version actually mistrated, mistranslated the word "ratsak" into the word kill in that commandment to say, uh, thou shall not kill. But as you'll see today, there is a logical and biblical taking of a life. In fact, what you'll see by the end of this is that Hamas committed Ratzak, and right now Israel is enacting Herak. the The internal conflict for many, including myself admittedly, but especially Christians, is that seemingly innocent people are now dying as a consequence of Israel's retaliation And this represents the unfortunate reality of war. And it's been the enduring unfortunate reality since the first war that was ever fought, and and that is the unfortunate reality of innocent death. When war is waged, whether just or unjust, civilian casualties are inevitable. Uh, That reality is is the main source of inner turmoil that many of you are grappling with today. And how do you justify war when this is the case, that innocent people will be killed? It's easier for a Christian or even a a moral-esque-minded person to mentally justify the killing of a terrorist, an evil person... Or a gruesome criminal, but in this case, as Israel responds to the terrorist attack from October 7th, where the Islamic resistance movement, aka Hamas, broke in, murdered, raped, and pillaged, and kidnapped over 1,500 people. The most Jewish deaths since the Holocaust. Christians and others are having a hard time with that unfortunate reality that, as Israel strikes back, they're killing men, women, and children who have nothing to do with this terrorist regime which they elected to power over a decade ago. And before we really get into the meat of this, it has to be said that it's easy for us to flex as experts in this situation, but the reality is that the people calling for peace and are calling for ceasefires are and, and are lambasting Israel for striking back um, Most of you have absolutely no idea how it feels to be Jewish, to be hated for all of history, and to have your own family and people slaughtered by millions, by the millions, and in this case, the thousands. Millions and thousands, simply for being Jewish. Again, if you haven't watched or or listened to episode 9, please do that now. But, I want you to hold on to this idea of peace. What in the entire history of the world has created peace? We're going to answer that later, but just think about that for a moment. One of the most important philosophers in world history that shaped many of the ideas undergirding the the creation of the United States and, and furthered Christianity in the medieval period is an Italian priest who goes by the name of Thomas Aquinas. There's a school of thought born of his formulations known as Thomism, which in short is the coalescence of Aristotelianism and Christianity. The philosophy of Aristotle meets Jesus in the Bible. One of his most extensive works Is the Summa Theologiae, which spans about eight years of his writings. I believe it's in the second volume that Aquinas addresses the subject of war as he poses the question, is it always sinful to wage war? He says, in order for a war to be just, three things are necessary. First, the authority of the sovereign by whose command the war is to be waged. For it is not the business of a private individual to declare war. Moreover, it is not the business of a private individual to summon together the people. And as the care of the common will is committed to those who are in authority, it is their business to watch over the common will of the city, kingdom, or province subject to them. And just as it is lawful for them to have recourse to the sword in defending that common will. So the first thing that Aquinas says is a justification for war, is that a sovereign authority declares it. It is a nation, not individuals, who declares war. Uh, That old school word will in there means well-being, so Aquinas is saying that war is justified when they are in defense of the well-being of the nation. The sovereign has a God-given responsibility to that. Aquinas says, When they punish evildoers... According to the words of the Apostle, meaning the Apostle Paul in Romans 13.4, He beareth not the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. This is where Thomas Aquinas is referencing Paul's writing on the involvement of God in the institution of authority. Thomas is pointing out that it's the sovereign leadership's God-given responsibility to bear the sword. And to act as an avenger upon evildoers. And you can object to this saying, well, this is just describing law and order within that particular place. But no, it's, it's more than that. Aquinas also says, so too it is their business to have recourse to the sword of war in defending the common will or well-being against external enemies. Hence it is said to those who are in authority, Psalm 81.4, rescue the poor and deliver the needy out of the hand of the sinner." Then Aquinas closes the first justification with a quote from St. Augustine. And for this reason, Augustine says, "...the natural order conducive to peace among mortals demands that the power to declare and counsel war should be in the hands of those who hold the supreme authority." Now, keep in mind, None of these justifications stand alone. All of them must be met in order for war to really, truly be justified. So, in Aquinas' first justification, he says that a just war is one called by a sovereign authority, and here's the second. He says, secondly, a just war is required, namely that those who are attacked should be attacked because they deserve it. On account of some fault. Wherefore, Augustine says a just war is wont to be described as one that avenges wrongs when a nation or state has to be punished for refusing to make amends for the wrongs inflicted by its subjects or to restore what it seized unjustly. In other words, nation A may war against nation B if nation B deserves it, as Aquinas says, on account of some fault Nation A may war justly to avenge a wrong, punish an enemy for a refusal to make amends for some wrong, or to restore what was seized unjustly. Now, don't you worry. We're going to revisit all of these in just a moment. So, Aquinas is given two justifications for war, under sovereign leadership and for a just cause, but now the third and final justification. Thirdly it is necessary that the belligerents should have a rightful intention so that they intend the advancement of good or the avoidance of evil. Hence, Augustine says, True religion looks upon as peaceful those wars that are waged not for motives of aggrandizement or cruelty, but with the object of securing peace, of punishing evildoers, and of uplifting the good. A nation must be justified in war by right intentions, and Aquinas defines these right intentions as advancing good and avoiding evil. His quote of Augustine shows something highly critical to this understanding. Peace is attainable through just war. Peace is attainable through just war. An unjust war is, is waged for aggrandizement or greed, cruelty, and just simple vengeance. But they show us here peace is obtained through a war which punishes evildoers and uplifts the good. And there's even more roots there to Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans chapter 13. However, it is possible... For war to be declared by a sovereign and claim a just cause, but have evil intentions. Aquinas says, For it may happen that the war is declared by the legitimate authority and for a just cause, and yet be rendered unlawful through a wicked intention. Hence, Augustine says, The passion for inflicting harm, the cruel thirst for vengeance, and uh, unpacific and Relentless spirit, the fever of revolt, the lust of power, and such like things, all these are rightly condemned in war. Now, elsewhere in his writings, Aquinas poses eight questions about murder. The seventh question is this, is it lawful to kill a man in self-defense? And I bring this up because this gives further clarity to the justification of war or national self-defense. Or even the defense of another nation. He says the act of self-defense may have two effects. One is the saving of one's life. The other is the slaying of the aggressor. Therefore, this act, since one's intention is to save one's own life, is not unlawful, seeing that it's natural to keep for uh, to everything to keep itself being as far as possible. So to this. First effect, Aquinas says that it's lawful, or just, to act to preserve your own life. But he adds to this the second effect of self-defense. And yet, though proceeding from a good intention, an act may be rendered unlawful, if it be out of proportion to the end. Wherefore, if a man in self-defense uses more than necessary violence it will be unlawful. Whereas if he repel force with moderation, his defense will be lawful. The second effect speaks to proportionality. Now I have to, for the sake of our general subject, say things not individualistically. So for a nation to war against another nation, just because the other nation says critical, passive aggressive things about nation a that would lack proportion. And and according to Aquinas would be unlawful for war to be waged in that respect. Now, to add to Thomas Aquinas justifications for war, you know, sovereign leadership just cause right intentions and national defense. I would add the following war should be a last and final resort. Romans 12:18 says, "If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men." If it is possible, warring should not always be an immediate action. The United States deliberately did not involve itself in the Second World War until the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And at that point, uh, there was no attainable peace except by defeating the enemy. I think another important factor in the justification of war is the probability of success. In Luke 14.31, Jesus says, What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? In other words, is victory possible? It's not just a matter of numbers, but is, is victory even attainable? because if not you're wasting lives, blood and people away for nothing. Now let's talk about one more criteria and that is what happens teaches. In the past on this show I've talked about the old system of justice we used to have in America. We used to have, you know, public hangings and in old European countries they had public executions and the Romans had public executions and those things were clear indicators to others that if you commit these same acts, this is what will happen to you. And in general, enforcing the law is a deterrent to crime. It does the same thing. Well, if nation B commits an evil act against nation A, and then nation A whoops their tail, two things happen. Nation B will rethink ever doing something again, and then nations C all the way through Z now know what happens to them if they mess around like nation B did. Now, with those seven criteria in place, let's see if there's biblical justification for Israel engaging in this war before us. Netanyahu and and President Herzog "...are sovereign leaders declaring their nation is at war against an enemy. This is a war for the well-being of the Jewish people. This is a righteous response to evil. This enemy officially deserved what's coming to them on the morning of October 7th. Therefore, they shall be punished as a just response to their actions because they have inflicted wrongs and they have taken lives." Israel is clearly showing good intentions, and despite what the liberals are spinning this into, they don't want to take the lives of any innocent Gazan. That's why they've yet to begin their ground assault. That's why they've yet to enter the terror tunnels 40 feet underground. That's why they're instructing people to leave for their own safety. I told you to look up Operation Wrath of God and and also the Six-Day War of 67, and, and there was more you could have researched, but w- what I wanted you to see in both of those events is, and, and, and in this one right now, is the tactfulness and precision Israel exhibits. They don't just drop a bomb. They don't just bust in guns blazing. They want to inflict precise and just damage. Proportionality, yes, but ultimately for the common defense of her people. And unfortunately, part of the reason they do this is because of what you're seeing right now with the liberals. They'll be raked over the coals for anything that they do. But this clearly demonstrates there are no evil intentions. And just compare their response right now to the initial attack from Hamas, who indiscriminately fired thousands of rockets, murdered, decapitated, desecrated, raped, pillaged, and kidnapped for hours. Those are evil intentions. This is also clearly Israel's immediate response to the attack. Um, war was their last resort. It was their last resort. They've, they've endured these potshots from Hamas for years, and only now that, they've, that thousands of, of Jews were slain, they've resorted to war. And peace is impossible. It is impossible. Their probability of success is extremely high, especially given their track record. They've got numbers, technology, and allied support. And finally, how Israel handles this will be a lesson to the other surrounding terror groups, and how we, the United States, involve ourselves in this will be a demonstration to the world, which could prevent a third world war. Winston Churchill once said, You ask, what is our aim? Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. And this is true for Israel today. You know, um, Ronald Reagan's foreign policy could really be defined by the phrase peace through strength. The idea was that if America was strong, with an obviously strong military, there would be peace for America and peace in the world. Donald Trump followed in those footsteps and added economic pressure to the mix. But here's a new strategy for the present moment. Peace through victory. Peace through victory means There must be a fight. There has to be. There must be a fight, and someone has to lose. Somebody has to lose. Somebody has to lose, and somebody has to win in order for there to be peace. There is no win-win. In this situation and in wars throughout history, there was no chance of, of compromise or agreeing to disagree, settlers came here to escape British tyrannical rule and fought a revolutionary war to preserve the American pursuit of life and liberty and happiness. The North fought the South in a bloody civil war which, in which over 700,000 men shed their blood to unite the states of America and abolish the evil of slavery. We jumped in to defeat the Central Powers in the First World War to create world peace. We defeated Fascists and Imperialists who were wiping people off the planet in the Second World War. In none of these situations was peace attainable through anything other than victory. With Israel and the Palestinians, one side simply wants to live and to live in their ancestral homeland and be left alone. And the other side thinks they should be wiped from the planet. There is no compromise. And furthermore, there is no negotiating with a the terrorist. There is no power of persuasion over a jihadist. They are on a mission from Allah to cleanse the world of the worst of all infidels, the Jewish people. There is no opportunity for peace until someone is defeated. The greatest example of peace through victory in all of history that will never be matched is when God waged war on sin and death. And the peace that was achieved through the shedding of Christ's blood wasn't world peace. It was peace between us and Him. In Matthew 10.34, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The blood that was shed made peace between us and God. 1 John 2.2 2 says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. And one of my favorite Bible verses is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We were the offending party. We defied and disobeyed God. We mocked and rebelled against Him. We were guilty of violating all of His statutes. And instead of God annihilating us and just striking us down, harag instead of righting the wrongs by being victorious over us, Jesus stepped into our place and shed His own blood. The great exchange happened. We were given the righteousness of Jesus, as if we had never done anything wrong, and Jesus became sin on our behalf. God waged a holy war, defeated the enemy, became victorious, and thus created eternal peace. Romans 5.1 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you, like me, want to see some level of peace... Israel must righteously defeat her enemy. But we must intercede on behalf of them and intercede on behalf of the Palestinian people who are being forced to stay, to serve as human shields, to die in service to Allah, to be sacrificed as PR stunts. God, please help those people escape the coming destruction. The thing is, those people have largely been complicit for over a decade with these terrorists. They elected them, they knew what the stated goals of Hamas was to kill the Jewish people, and they still installed them to govern the Gaza Strip. We've seen the video of the the normal citizens uh, rushing into Israel during all the chaos to steal things from their homes. We know they, they read the same Quran that gives Hamas their religious validation. They hate the Jews as, as much as their genocidal leaders do. But we also must pray for the hundreds that have been taken hostage. They have no idea if they will live or die. They are pawns in Hamas's evil game. And all the Hollywood celebrities and media members and politicians calling for a ceasefire from Israel while hundreds remain as hostages, including Americans, are complicit in terrorism. Shame on all of you. Well, I will be keeping a watchful eye on all of this, and as things change, I'll let you know. Unless something significant happens next week, we'll return to our usual format after these three consecutive special programs. Well, that's going to do it for me. What will it be next time? We'll see For now, go and be the salt and light you are meant to be. And we'll see you next time on We the Free.